0: Father, as we consider some of Job this morning, we come with attentive, responsive hearts, a willingness to hear, a willingness to live out your word through your spirit, the life we have in Christ, work in us, for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. pain struggles trials are to living on this earth what wings are to an airplane it's not an issue if we will experience pain and stuff suffering or trials but when such a mindset is not being a pessimist but a realist Therefore, it is wise to learn to live in dependency upon the Lord, dependency upon Christ in our pain, our struggle, our trials. And that requires a biblical, a godly mindset, a godly thinking, a godly love for the Lord. So to move us in that direction, some thought questions, and we'll come back to these later on. Why do we think we must have answers, explanations for our suffering? That is our own suffering. Why am I going through this, whatever it may be? Why do we attempt to figure out why other people suffer and then offer answers or explanations? Well, I wonder why Emerson's going through that. I wonder why Rick goes through that. I wonder why... You know, the next person goes through what they get through. And we try to figure that out sometimes. Is this statement true or false? We experience trials, pains, sufferings in our life due to our sin, failure, or disobedience. (coughs) This morning, we want to consider some dialogue between Job and his three friends. And keep in mind that Job was a blameless and upright man. He feared God and he shunned evil. And we know the angels came to interact with the Lord and Satan also came and the Lord would have said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And we know that the Lord, under his sovereign control, gave Satan permission to do some things to Job. And Job lost his wealth and his ten children. We know another time, according to chapter 2, the angels again came before the Lord, and Satan also came. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, well, you take away his health, and he'll curse you. And the Lord said, go ahead, do that. And we know that Job... At the end of chapter 2, he has three friends who have come to sympathize with him. He is sitting in the ashes. He's scraping himself, and he has sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. So how do you get comfortable? There's no way to get comfortable. You stand, you sit, you lie, try to stand in your head or whatever. It's just not comfortable. And then in chapter 3, we find that Job curses the day of his birth. Then in chapters 4 through 25, we find that there is interaction between Job and his three friends. They sat with him for seven days. They didn't say a word. And then they started to speak. And it's an interesting conversation that takes place between Job and his three friends. I list some references that we'll look at today. We'll look at some of them. But how they respond to Job in chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 of Job and verse 1. Then Eliphaz, the Tiumite, replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumble. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes your way and you're discouraged. It strikes you and you're dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways, your hope? Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright or where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. The breath of God, they are destroyed. The blast of his anger, they perish. The lions may roar and growl, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Notice what he says, particularly in verse seven. Consider now who being innocent has ever ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? And in verse 8, as I observe those who plow evil, those who sow trouble reap it. What is he saying basically to Job? Job, you did something. That's why you lost your children, you lost your wealth, and you lost your health. We find that Job responds... In chapter 6 and chapter 7. And then in chapter 8 and verse 1, we find Bildad, the Shuhite, replies. Chapter 8 and verse 1. How long will you say such things? Your words are blistering wind. And they're supposed to be comforting Job. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. But if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, and if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself in your behalf and restore to you your rightful place. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous will your future be. Notice what Bildad says in verse 4. When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Job, you lost your ten kids because they sinned. Job again responds in chapter 9, and chapter 10. In chapter 11, we find that Zophar responds. Chapter 11 and verse 2. Are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce men to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I'm pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak. They would open his his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom has two sides. Know this. God has even forgiven some of your sins. Pick up with verse 13. Yet if you were to devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water going by. What is Zophar doing? Saying the same thing as the other two. Job, you sinned. You did something wrong. This is why you lost your children. This is why you lost your wealth. This is why you lost your health. Job again responds in chapters 12 and 13 and 14. Then we get to chapter 15 we find Eliphaz again is responding look at verse 14 what is man that he could be pure a one born of woman that he could be righteous if god places no trust in his holy ones if even the heavens are not pure in his eyes how much less man who is vile and corrupt who drinks up evil like water job you're guilty You did something wrong. You're guilty. Job again responds in chapter 16 and in chapter 17. We get to chapter 18, and Bildad responds in verse 5. The lamp of the wicked is snuffed out, the flame of his fire stops burning, the light in his tent becomes dark, the lamp beside him goes out, the vigor of his step is weakened. His own schemes throw him down. His feet thrust him into a net, and he wanders into a mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel. A snare holds him fast. A noose is hidden for him in the ground. A trap lies in the path. Terrors startle him on every side, and dog his every step. Calamity is hungry for him. Disaster is ready for him when he falls. It eats away parts of his skin. Death's firstborn devours his limbs. He is torn from the security of his tent and marched off to the king of taros. Fire resides in his tent. Burning sulfur is scattered over his dwelling. His roots dry up below and his branches wither away. Is that enough from Bildad saying, Job, you're guilty? What did you do? You did something. Something's wrong here. You surely did something. Job again responds in chapter 19. Then Zophar responds in chapter 20. But notice in chapter 19, 1 through 6. Then Job replied, How long will you torment me and crush me with your words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I've gone astray... My error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourself above, above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Ten times now you have reproached me. Job, you surely did something wrong. This is why you have the t- problems that you do. again, again. And again, and you'll find that that is present in chapter 20. And that is also present in chapter 22. Job's friends keep saying, Job, you did something wrong. There's sin. Your kids did something wrong. All, the, all of the above passages we considered are what I would call retribution theology. Theology. Retribution theology is basically, as I will have on PowerPoint, you get what you deserve. The trial, pain, suffering you're facing is due to the, some sin or wrongdoing in your life. Trials are due to one sowing evil, disobedience, or wickedness. Good people get good things. Bad people get bad things. People ask, what did he or she do wrong? How did they sin? Concerns with reward and punishment here and now. How many times have you been through a trial and thought, what did I do? What did I do? Or someone else has been through a trial and you ask, what did they do? wonder what they did. I have an egg here. I'm going to drop it. Try not to drop it too far. Now we have an effect. The egg broke. And we say the cause is that I dropped the egg. That's pretty easy to figure out. You saw it happen. Retribution theology says there's an effect over here. Someone is sick. Someone has trials. Someone is going through difficulty. Job lost his children. Job lost his wealth. Job lost his health. Job did something. So, a family goes through difficulty. The family must have done something. That's retribution theology. You get cancer, God is punishing you. Your family struggles, God is zapping you for something you did or someone in your family did. In John 9 and verse 2, his, Jesus' disciples saw a man born blind and they asked, Who sinned, this man or his parents? Retribution theology is not new. Job's three friends are now wondering, what's going on here? Surely he did something. And then there's a fourth guy who comes on the scene later on in Job, and he basically does the same thing. Job, you must have done something. Retribution theology, I think, must be challenged. And here's some of my challenge. It rules out to some degree the simple fact that we live in a fallen world which naturally involves suffering. We live in a broken world. It involves suffering. It's not always because of what someone did. So Anita, and I'm using this because she already mentioned it, driving down the road the other day and she runs off the road. I wonder what I did. You know why that I get run off the road by that truck? I must have done something wrong. That's why I had this flat tire. No, we live in a broken world. A driver at times may run someone off the road, and there may be a flat tire. That's life. Retribution theology also rules out the work of the Lord's enemy, our enemy. Satan. Job's friends had no idea that Satan was involved in his suffering. Apparently, at least from what they're saying, did not even cross their mind. Retribution theology says, you did something, so you're getting it. Retribution theology rules out the sinful, evil choices of others that deeply influence and hurt innocent people. I don't know if you saw on the news about what happened in California where they found, was it 11 or 13? 13 children. Question. What did those children do wrong that they experienced what they did? Was not that the choice of some parents, of their parents? Retribution theology rules out the sinful, evil choices of others. It rules out the Lord's sovereignty. Well, God must not be sovereign over this. What well, just happened. I must have done something. No, God is sovereign. What comes into our lives has come through His hands, even though someone else may be responsible. It lures individuals to focus upon themselves. What did I do? Rather than upon the Lord. We go through trials. Job is going through trials. God says, when we get to the end of the book, as we'll find next week, look at me. But when we face difficulties, and we're looking at ourselves, we miss God. It discourages individuals. It's very discouraging when you're going through a trial, and you say, well, I wonder what I did. Well, when I was a kid, I did this. When I was a teenager, I did this. And after a while, you throw up your hands and say, phooey, you just become discouraged. It takes a focus from faith in the Lord and in Christ and places it upon ourselves. It looks for answers, explanations, and reasons rather than the Lord. Retribution theology says, i got to have an answer. i got to have a reason. i got to have an explanation. Retribution theology also leads one to his or her own abilities and devices. Just depend upon self and try to figure it out. So when I total my Chevelle, my pride and joy. I had some questions for God and God had to straighten me out. It's not because of anything you did, but I have some things I will, you know, allow you to learn through it. But I was depending upon myself far too long. Retribution theology gives a poor testimony to unbelievers Christ's life in us is not experienced. We can get so focused on figuring out an answer, an explanation, or a reason that we miss God's power at work in our lives. Retribution theology is a tool of Satan to lure people from understanding the Lord and Christ in their majestic being, character, and works. How many times... In the 40 plus years that I've ministered, people have said, what did I do? What did I do? Why am I suffering? Why is this happening to my family? And Job's comforters are trying to say, Job, you did something. And that lures away from seeing God and his majestic character. And as we'll find next week, God brought Job to the point of saying, I want you to see me in my character. You get no answer, you get no explanation, you get no reason. You get me. Retribution theology, it results in a relationship of suspect. What did he do? What did she do? Wonder why they're going through their suffering. They surely did something. Well, why is this family going through all these problems? They surely did something. And we begin to suspect people, you know. Suspicious of, wonder what they're hiding. It results in blame rather than acceptance. Three friends of Job did well. They comforted him for seven days and didn't say a word. That was very good. And then they began to blame. Hey, Job, your kids did something. Otherwise, they wouldn't be or they wouldn't have died. And they go on and on. It ignores the curse, thus just being an atom. Part of living on this earth is living under a curse. It denies or distorts the Father heart of God. Denies or distorts a father heart of God. Retribution theology distorts God and who he is as a father. You did bad, zap. You did good, you get blessed. That's not the father heart of God. A couple other items to consider. If the Lord is judging their disciplined believers... I'm sorry, if the Lord is judging or disciplining, believers know it because the Lord has spoken. He doesn't hide himself when he disciplines any more than a parent hides him or herself when he or she disciplines. Anytime I get disciplined by my mom or dad, I knew it. If God is disciplining us, We know it. He's dealing with us. He deals with a father or as a father does with a son or a mother with a son or daughter. He doesn't kind of hide and say, well, you did something wrong. I'm going to get you, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm getting you. What kind of God is that? Anytime God has disciplines, according to Hebrews 12, he lets you know. My father never, in the back of his mind, said, well, Dan disobeyed today. You know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to put some crackers in his bed. And I crawl in bed and wonder, what these crackers do in my bed? I don't know. And then as I get older, he, he said, well, Dan didn't do what he was supposed to do today, so I'm going to slash two of his tires. But I'm not going to tell him what happened. That's not God. Eternal life involves a relationship with the Lord, with Christ, the Holy Spirit, which is open in daily life. This stands in contrast to hide and seek relationship. Christ is our life. He reveals himself. He does not live in secret. So, well, I zapped you, but I'm not going to tell you that I zapped you. If I discipline you, I'll let you know. Retribution theology places responsibility upon the individual or friends to figure out what's going on in one's life and why. Retribution theology is taught and practiced in the body of Christ today. How many times are we consumed with why? I'm not saying it's wrong to ask, but when we demand an answer and we try to figure out what's going on in someone else's life or own life or in Job's life, we miss the point. Remember, Job's friends were rebuked by God and Job prayed for them in the end. We'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. The Lord is sovereign and at work when we are in darkness with no answers. Here is Job sitting in the ashes, scraping himself, sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And three of his friends come along and say, Job, you did something wrong. You sinned. Your kids sinned. What's wrong? We're figuring it out for you. You better figure it out. What comfort that is. Remember laying in our bed... And the parsonage, the kids had already gone down to my parents because I couldn't stand any noise after my spinal tap and had a splitting headache. And someone came to visit me a few days later. And I knew they felt very awkward in how to respond to me. And the guy got out his Bible, read a few verses Said a brief prayer and went on his way. I remember that. But he didn't come in and say, Pastor, you're laying here with a thumping headache. You don't even like to hear me talk. How did you sin? That would have been terrible. I had enough headache already. I didn't need another one trying to figure out what was wrong. That's retribution theology couple words of wisdom and giving comfort in pain and trials learn to run from the following retribution theology giving reasons, answers and explanations and encouraging people to focus on themselves we don't always have to have an answer for everything we don't have to figure everything out Sometimes there may be a simple answer, but many times there isn't. Instead, point those in trial to the Lord Jesus. That is, the Lord and Christ and their character, their works, and their promises. And just choose to be with them, those who suffer, to be present. Listen to their lament. It may be a physical trial, maybe a relational trial, it may be a family struggle. We don't have to figure out a reason. Maybe just be with them, and listen to them to lament, listen to their lament about, "This is not good and I don't like it." There's a time for words, but Job really didn't need the words that he was getting from his three friends. Point people to trust and faith and rest in the Lord in Christ. Help them to understand the Father heart of God. The Father heart of God cares. He welcomes lament. He welcomes complaint. He welcomes requesting help. Move people in that direction. Helping them to understand the Father, heart of God. We stay out of much trouble if we learn to hold our tongue in pain, suffering, and trials as we speak to others. I'm not saying you don't speak at all, but be careful how you use your tongue. It can really be powerful. Ten times now, Job says, you have reproached me. Shamelessly, you attack me. Hey, guys, zip the lip. Don't you see Job is in tremendous pain? But they had their retribution mindset. Retribution theology. Job surely did something wrong. So, why do we think, or why are we tempted to think we must have answers and explanations for our own struggle? Why do we attempt to figure out why other people suffer and then offer answers or explanations? A few thoughts, not being dogmatic in these, just a few thoughts. We want to be like God, we want an answer. Or we trust more in our answers and explanations and reasons than we do in the Lord. Isn't the Lord enough? Do we have to have answers? We bought into Satan's lie that we can be like God and have answers. Or we may refuse to trust God in total darkness. We demand at least a little light. The Lord says, it's dark, just trust me. Or we may worship knowledge. We want an answer. Those are just some thoughts that we struggle with. And the fact that we struggle is not wrong with how we respond. True or false? We experience trials, pain, suffering in our life due to sin, failure, or disobedience. Is that a totally true statement? I see a few heads going no. We may do something wrong and there may be a consequence, but that's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with things that happen in life and there's no logical explanations.